Monday, the 16th of October 2017. What's the block height? It is 490,203. Welcome back to another week of Block Digest, our first show of the week in which I'm joined by Shinobi. Yola. Yes, yes. Rick in the house. Hello, everyone. Rick has the skills to pay them bills. Thanks a lot for another great image for today's show. And we have Janine. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. And Theo Goodman is back. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. Let's all get drunk together on air. Yeah, got my Japanese single malt that I picked up from a Berlin mall today. This mall, Alexanderplatz, is fucking insane, man. It's a huge mall and it's got like all these floors and all this food and stuff. Yeah, I was checking that out today. Uh, not to forget Atnix, last but not least. Oh, man, we're drinking. Oh, I missed. Yeah, yeah, oh, we're getting drunk today. I yeah, failed. We're drunk today. We're just not me, not me, the... not me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get drunk on air, and then the uh, editor-in-chief can all have a go at you later. Wait, there is no editor-in-chief. Who's in charge of this shit, anyway? I don't even know who is. I don't know. Wait, there's a... I don't know. Uh, nope, oh, nobody shit. wants to be in charge. I think that we should have a Twitter debate up, um, between the CEO, CTO, and C whatever other others about who controls Your the audio. show. I mean, I'm it's not so Yo, yo, microphone check. Is this good? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's tuning out right now because you, you sound Theo, like a Dalek. Are, are you Skynet? Go to the next person, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll go. We'll go to Skynet confirmed. <laughs> Skip to the next segment. Skip to the next segment quick. Yeah, okay. He's wrecked. He's gone. Let's, let's just go. Okay, okay, so all your devices are wrecked. That's the TLDR. Can we move on to the next story now? No, let's just go through it in detail. Let's educate everybody. So there was a paper that is, of course, branded. It has a logo. It's got a domain name. It's called Crack Attacks or Key Reinstallation Attacks, Breaking WPA by Forcing the Nonce Reuse by Matthew Vanoff, uh, who has made this paper. And it's very long and complicated paper. I did make an effort to read it. I wasn't able to finish the whole thing in depth for today's show, for the deadline, but I did read extensively about it. And what you need to know before going to the panelists is that for the most part, this is going to affect every single bullshit IoT device ever. Just let that sink in for a minute. Every single device that has a Wi-Fi adapter is going to need a firmware upgrade because of an attack which allows an attacker to be, start out as a man in the middle, spoof a Wi-Fi port, you know, a Wi-Fi access point to a victim so that their device now communicates with this, this fake one and all of the data that goes over can be, can be spoofed. And so th this is it. And essentially what it requires is an update mainly to the end clients. And in particular, he, he cites Linux users and, and Android users as well because of the particular idiosyncrasies of those operating systems. It probably won't require an update so much of the routers. So in case you're thinking, oh, okay, it's fine. I'll just change my, my router password. That's not going to cut it. You certainly shouldn't be downgrading the... Um, 
encryption down to WEP. That would be the worst possible thing you could do. Um, you will obviously need to contact your vendors and ask them if there is an update. Uh, obviously, start out just by doing a regular firmware upgrade straight away, um, particularly if it's a security one. Uh, try to ignore all the spammy ones that you get pestered for all the time. They usually don't contain any security updates. Do read um, you know, the blurb that comes with an update. Don't just blindly say yes. Make sure that you've at least cursorily viewed the, the change log. And... Um, it's a really good on crackattacks.com. It's in the description below. You can scroll down to the bottom where you will see a, a Q&A, and that will give you the lowdown on this. So who wants to start? Shinobi, go on. I was going to say uh, Janine's actually probably a little more well-read. I only got a chance to go over the, the broad strokes and not really dive into the paper. Shanine. Um. Well... I, I mean, you covered a lot of what I was going to say, so, uh, I mean, if anyone wants to get a more technical description, I mean, he has a good summary of the attack um, on that website where he says that when a client joins a network, it executes the four-way handshake to negotiate a fresh encryption key. It will then install this key after receiving message he has a good summary of it on the website um, about what a four-way handshake or how a four-way handshake works. And um, so, yeah, there's a number of different things that an attacker could do with this access, with this attack. Um, they could simply sniff Wi-Fi traffic and they could obtain things like login credentials. So if you're logging into a website, uh, especially if it's not using HTTPS, then um, they could potentially grab your uh, login credentials like your password, and then um, then they could obviously log into that site themselves. Uh, they would also be able to see content uh, like messages and photos, because uh, one of the things that was cool about the video that uh, the researcher did was that he used, uh, I believe it was Match.com as the example, and people were asking him, why did you use that? And he wanted to use it because that was an example of a website that you would be sending sensitive information to because it's a dating website and so obviously that would be that would be a big deal for people if they knew that a lot of the traffic um, back and forth with that network was insecure and people would see their photos and messages uh, and they also uh, an attacker could forge and inject content so um, they could basically put things on the website and you would see them but they wouldn't actually be from the website it would be uh, they could potentially put malware or something like that, where, or a malicious link. And so, it, yeah, the biggest thing about the story is that it's probably going to be several months, if not years, before this stuff is widely fixed. And the reason it's going to take a long time is because it's an attack on client devices like smartphones, laptops, and smart home devices. And so that means that you know every all of those devices have to be updated individually. It's not something that's you know can be centrally um, updated. And so the one of the ways that you can mitigate risks against this is that you can try your best to use only HTTPS websites. Now he does note on the website that HTTPS isn't foolproof. There's uh, a number of ways that that can be attacked also, but it does. Uh, remove a lot of the risk in general, not just from this attack. 
Uh, you should also update all of your wireless devices as soon as possible. And additionally, as Chris said, you should update the firmware in your Wi-Fi router, although obviously this attack is um, against clients, not Wi-Fi routers, but um, it's always a good idea to update that firmware. And uh, if you're interested in hearing more about this vulnerability, the researcher is actually going to be presenting on this in December at Black Hat Europe in London, so you can check it out there in person. I think he said also on November 1st, there's going to be a presentation um, somewhere else as well. So yeah, look out for that. Um, but yeah, takeaway is pretty obvious. You do need to upgrade your shits. Atnix, come on, man. You got to have something for me on this. Well, I don't know. It just sounds really bad. It's like, what What can you say? Wi-Fi is broken. Holy shit, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's this kind of goes back to like, you know, we, we covered the uh, the Bluetooth exploit a little while back. And then that case of the um, the man in the middle attacks where you actually had malicious software being replaced through the ISPs. And, you know, I, I kind of want to reiterate something that I said with that instance is use a VPN, use a tunnel. The, the more layers of encryption that you have wrapping around your traffic, the safer things are when you have shit like this. Because the, that's extra layers of security and more shit than an attacker actually has to go through and compromise. So, you know, it might sound like overkill, but if you have three different layers of encryption that your shit's running through, and somebody breaks the outermost one, they still have two more to go through. So it, it's always better safe than sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're seeing this because, you know, honestly, this is one of those situations where I felt like, uh, you know, this is something where we're sort of just seeing it come out where this has really got some uh, three-letter agency that's been using this as a feature for quite some time. You know, looking back, I saw that this uh, was all put together back in 04 and, you know, just seeing it now, it seems like, uh, you know, it's good that we're getting it out there and maybe we'll get some updates to clear it up. But uh, this is a bug for our security, but it's definitely a feature for their surveillance. Oh, yeah, very good quote, very good. Um, so here is the TLDR. The links that I've already showed you, including the video, are in the description below. Um, but here, Graham Spookyland um, on Twitter gave an excellent TLDR and also utilized the new 280 character limit very well. On the crack attack stuff, you can repeatedly resend the third packet in a WPA2 handshake and it will reset the key state, which leads to nonce reuse, which leads to trivial decryption with known plain text. Can be easily leveraged to dump TCP, SYN traffic and hijack connections. Uh, worse, there is a bug in the WPA supplicant that causes the key to be set to all zeros when you do this attack, so all traffic is trivially decrypted when attacking Linux and Android devices. The behavior of accepting a retransmitted packet comes from the WPA2 standard, which means the fix situation is a little awkward. Crack abuses the feature of allowing retransmission of lost packets, which is important to the 802.11 protocol. It's a feature, not a bug, in quotes. And so you can, he's saying you can view uh, the Crack Attacks website and uh, says, you know, every single device will need to be updated. So I thought that was a really good rundown of things. And also this comic strip, although not entirely technically accurate, um, is also in the description, but probably won't be your router 
um, that will absolutely require the update, although I'm sure many manufacturers will be pushing out updates to their routers. Um, it is mostly the clients that, that can be affected. Because remember, obviously, you won't always use the router in your house. You might go, go somewhere else, for example, um, and use other people. So you're still going to have to update your clients, whatever happens. Crack kills. Crack is whack. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good, that's a good, that could be a good slogan to update your shit, you know? Crack is whack, update your shit. Or, you know, we need to get a catchier slogan, but something like that could work. Mm -hmm. And anybody on Linux uh, now, I, I didn't actually check the repo to confirm that it's a fix for this, but I upgraded earlier today and there was a WPA sublifting upgrade. So get your ass on top of that. Right. Okay. So from one serious story to another, um, we have some, you know, pretty serious news for you about a community member and friend of many of us here, Jameson Lopp, who was targeted today with something called a swatting attack, which is where some cowardly douchebag phones up the police and claims to be the person they are targeting and says, I am about to kill my family. I'm holding them hostage and I don't know what to do about it, but you need to, you know, do X, Y, and Z, because otherwise I'm going to go postal on these innocent people. And then the police, you know, presumably then send out a SWAT team to the location of the victim, uh, which of course is, you know, this anonymous person has called up and given the address of somebody he doesn't like, and they find themselves in an extremely dangerous situation, right? So Shinobi, why don't you tell us what's so dangerous about this and what you think of it all? Well, th this, this really, like has me livid because th this type of situation like uh, you know just it's kind of doxing myself kind of not but uh, a decent number of my family members are actually police and it, it doesn't matter whether whether something is, is fake or not when when, a, when the police get a call they have no way to ascertain that so they have to act as if whatever they're told is true until they actually see that it's not and I don't, I don't want to go into too many details. You know, they're, they're probably floating around, but I don't want to drive even more people towards personal information about Jameson. But the, the nature of this call was specifically structured in a way so that police would move in with lethal force immediately, that they would move to using force before actually trying to do anything to ascertain what was going on. And this very easily could have resulted in somebody being killed. Like this is this is not a joke. This is not a game. Somebody could have died here. And to to draw a little a little supposition of my own, I anybody here remembers I, I made a meme a week or two ago comparing Segwit 2x to the Samsung Note, the, the exploding phone. I was making a joke that the 2x is going to be a, a PR disaster, and the the mind state of a lot of the people in RBTC latched onto the image, scrubbed the context of it, and their brain immediately went to Jeff Garzik is being threatened with a car bomb. So while this is, this is me kind of just jumping off on an assumption here, this does not make any sense to me outside of somebody from that, that side of the community attempting to lash out at somebody who has been a very vocal, and, and I might add very civil proponent of the point of view that I align with in a way that could have resulted in him being killed. And this shit is not a fucking game. 
This is not a joke. This is not slinging insults on Twitter. Somebody could have died because of this. And it, it, I am personally livid, offended. It, I am just shocked at the fact that you have so many people in this ecosystem complaining about insults on Twitter. Well, here's an example. Somebody's life was literally put at risk over this shit. It's time to cut the bullshit and cut the games and stop playing victim. Because things spiral out of control like this until you have crazy nonsense like this. And there really is no way to definitively say, you know, who did this? Who's responsible? And it's going to be nothing but fucking finger pointing and accusations of false flags or I'm not responsible for this. And it just cut the bullshit. It's time to bring the conversation back to fucking reality, back to facts and not this mudslinging and, and personality centric bullshit, because this is where things go when you do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I, want to say, obviously, we wish Jameson all, all the best. Um, if you're watching this, um, really hope you're well. We are so happy that it was resolved without incident, actually, um, as you reported. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to say, you know, hope all is well. We obviously don't know who did this and what their motives were. The assumption it may be, you know, someone in the community, we are talking about programmable money after all. But as Shinobi pointed out, Jameson is actually one of the most, you know, neutral and most uh, eloquent and, you know, nonpartisan person in this whole thing. Sorry, Theo. Go, go no, I was I was totally I, I was going to say exactly your last part. Out of all the people, it's <laughs> Shinobi is totally right. This is ridiculous. It's dangerous. You know, you're, someone could have gotten killed potentially. Um, and out of all the people, you know, he is someone that actually he gets shit from all sides. If you look back, and he said that too. You know, because he's I think he was an XT supporter at some point. You know what I mean? He's he's gone. You know, he is he's not someone that he's willing to take position. He's not so ideological that he's just on you know one side he has positions on different issues and that's what's so interesting about you know what he said so he's not someone and he's not someone that's trolling or insulting people or at least i've never seen it or taken anything that he said like that so it's really kind of bizarre now i think that we wanted to link it in what has been going on is that um for some reason uh, BitGo, the company that he works for, decided that they want to have a public debate about some of the scale about the New York agreement coming up and some other things. Now, I don't know. It's kind of puzzled a lot of people why the CEO and the CTO and whoever other C levels would go at it each, at each other on Twitter about uh, this topic. I I don't know. That's the only. I mean, that's going on right now. It doesn't doesn't excuse anything at all but i'm just wondering even in even in this even in these exchanges i don't see anything that is trolly insulting threatening of anybody you see what i mean he he's just discussing points you might agree or disagree so uh, it's just ridiculous um i hope that we can all meet each other either in these kind of hangouts or in person and we can, but just by doing that, prevent this kind of bullshit. Yeah, um, I did show the as Theo was talking there to some of the tweets. I'll put those in the description after the show. 
um, between the CTO and and the uh, and you know the CEO of Bitco, it's kind of bizarre. Like Mike Belshi is obviously part of the Segwit2x initiative and, and and the team there, um, whereas Ben Davenport and Jameson Lop seem to be uh, very much you know kind of against the Segwit2x. But I will add, you know, not in a way that is um, in any way uh, dichotomous or in any way using logical fallacies. They are very you know eloquent when they speak. Um, usually non-partisan, non, you know, they're not actually trying to say anything that would would cause, you know, a ruckus. But, you know, as Jameson pointed out himself, you know, this is the price of being, you know, a public figure, right? Uh, in fact, I'll quote him directly. It's a price you have to be willing to pay when becoming an outspoken public figure. Well, that, that kind of goes uh, for, for all of us. I mean, almost all of us, I think, are, are doxable um, based on the information we put out. And I'm, you know, Johnny and I are very peripatetic. You never really know where we are. Amir Taki, also the same way, very peripatetic. He moves around all over the place. You never know where he's going to be. You have to be like water, as uh, Bruce Lee used to say. Yeah, that or, uh, I don't know. I took precautions. I went ahead and called the police today. Like, just let them know. I mean, like, it's ridiculous what you're saying. It's like, you know, just because you partially doxed yourself, you know, even the slightest, you never know what that could lead to. And these things, there seem so petty and childish, but it's the reality is people do get hurt in these situations. And, you know, it's never, it's never pretty. I mean, luckily some of them just come out with no injuries in there, but there's definitely a chance for injury for all that going on. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to, yeah, go on. Shinobi. Or it's like, you know, there, there, there's extremes on, on both ends of, of these, these core issues that we're dealing with. But to to be a little one-sided because I, I do believe that this this slight one-sidedness represents reality. I, I don't see supporters of core developers or advocates of decentralization throwing around such insane delusional conspiracy theories that they're they're pointing at people they disagree with and accusing them of being puppets of the Illuminati. Or pointing at the Bilderberg Group and investments in certain companies and claiming that this is some grand conspiracy of, of thousand-year-old power structures that are just stealing Bitcoin because Bitcoin is for sure just that thing that they want to stop. And it's, it's outright insanity on one end of things. And when people start falling into that kind of hole of delusion and irrationality, that you can't expect them to act rationally. And I, I really do like I don't want to incite paranoia in people, but you know, anybody who is out there with, with their name and face publicly, you should be careful and you should pay attention to your surroundings. And, and you should like do something like call the police and actually make them aware of the situation you're in so that if, if something like this does happen, if they do get weird calls, they have some kind of context to put that in instead of just having to run in guns blazing, assuming whatever they're told is what's going on. Because th this is this is something I have been worried about personally for the past couple of years is when is crazy shit like this going to start happening? Because air quotes, it's the only way to stop the Illuminati. And, you know, it's it's the reality we're living in. And you, people can point at me and say that I'm being one-sided all they want. But at the end of the day, when it comes to somebody's personal safety, it, take your, your, your pleas to be objective and frankly shove them up your ass. Because a human life is something that you can't replace. 
And to see a situation like this where it's treated so disrespectfully, so so worthlessly, it's fucking infuriating and it's unacceptable. Yeah, man. I mean, like, uh, it's something that I was hesitant to even report just because it seems kind of way out there, but it's better to get it done. And it didn't take long at all. It took like five minutes talking to them and just to let them know, like, my phone number and everything to where if something does come up, they're going to call me. So, yeah, it's not that hard to get set up with that. What did they say? Were they? Did you tell them about Bitcoin? Did you say, well, hey, so I'm, I'm involved in this like <laughs> weird internet funny kind of thing? And that's a bit of a... There's a bit of an online like feud going on right now, and I've got some trolls on the internet that might want to swap me. So just letting you know, giving you a heads up. Right, I told her it was about Bitcoin, and you know, and I was like, I, it's usually just a bunch of nerds. Like we shouldn't be getting into yeah. trouble like this, but uh, apparently there's some fringes that might be a little bit irrational. So she, uh, you know, luckily they took down the information, and you know, they're on the lookout okay, so they- for something. They were good about it. They weren't like laughing at you, like not taking no, it seriously. Actually, they were actually really like, trying to be like psychologists, like, don't worry, don't let these people scare you. I was like, well, don't worry. I'm not that scared. I'm just right. letting you yeah. know. <laughs> They're nice yeah. people. Yeah. So this is quite common in the gaming community. And I also wanted to bring up the fact that this has already happened once that I know of um, in this community. It happened to a colleague and friend of ours called Coin Run under the pseudonym Coin Run. He's on the Whalepool chat room quite a lot. And uh, he does a lot of price calls. And if you follow him on Twitter, you know, he'll send you a DM and give you his information and, and stuff like that. And look, you know, Coin Run, I think he's a fantastic trader. He makes a lot of price action calls in the Whalepool chat. And there's never normally more than like 200 people there at a time because we actually have rate limiting um, installed on the server so that you can't have too many people join at once. Um, but nevertheless, you know, people do listen to him and, you know, a lot of people are in there and they put in their life savings or they put in their pension money into crypto and stuff. And so they listen to key voices and coin run stands out. And this also unfortunately happened to him. And thankfully he was, well, you know, it went off without incident. Um, but obviously it's a very traumatic thing to happen to somebody. And so if it can happen to somebody, you know, if it can happen to, uh, a guy on a chat room with 200 people you know at a time and it can happen to jameson jameson and you know maybe he's not too outspoken doesn't offend too many people then just think right like it could happen to somebody who's much higher and i want to make sure that we make clear we are assuming at the moment there's just an assumption that maybe this might be because of the the whole bitcoin scaling war of 2017 it might not be it could be it could be something else and also what i don't want to do is fall into that trap the politicians fall into which is like you know i condemn these actions of you know these people and we don't represent they don't represent our views and our ways and and i don't because it's unfalsifiable like you know if we on the it what Look at what it's doing right now. It's creating more division, right? Now I'm thinking about sides in the debate, and it, no, it could it could be counterintelligence. It could yeah. be it could be like a counter. That's a typical kind of counterintelligence thing to do, you know, just get both sides riled up even more. But you know, there's no way to prove that, of course. So it's just hearsay. Yeah, and the thing is, like, if you if if one side says it's the other side, then that side could just do it to themselves. Like, they could just swap one of their own people and then say, "Look, look at these evil people on the other side. They did this." And of course, we wouldn't be able to prove it, right? No one can falsify it unless you catch the guy. And apparently, they do often ca- catch the people that do this. And I and I really hope that um, you know, Jameson's uh, you know perpetrator is is caught and is found. Uh, so that's a pretty fucked up thing. 
So do we want to go into ways in which this can happen? Because this is also a fresh story from today that's involved in operational security, uh, which is mobile phone companies providing numbers and locations to companies who pay. So this is actually an old story originally. Um, this you know article was kind of uh, from March 2016 here, the one that I'm showing you in the description below. And it's the idea that you can have super cookies on your mobile, perma cookies, zombie cookies, sometimes referred to, um, are otherwise known in, in the Verizon vendor in the US as a unique identifying header, uh, or UIDH for short, which is when you go onto a website from your mobile phone, um, particularly if it's not HTTPS, it will actually transmit your location and maybe your a plan that you're on, they, they, the, the phone provider will inject a whole bunch of metadata about who you are, identifiable information to third parties. There are some cases where this might be useful. Um, for example, if you're logging into your firm, you know, your company, your employer's servers, they may need to know that it's your IP address, that it's really you that's sending it. It's a bit of a messy sort of two-factor system. And I think we can all agree that we have better, you know, better tools for security. Nevertheless, this seems to still be going on. There was this website, it's now defunct, they're no longer doing it, but it used to be a site that you could come to, accessnow.org, where you can say, am I being tracked? And you, you could access it. They did all the data and they, they found out lots and lots of people, mostly the countries affected are USA, Spain, Netherlands, Canada, Peru, India, and China. Uh, main offenders were Verizon, AT&T, and Vodafone in Bell Canada. Um, and I would also add here that so this is apparently still going on. It was supposed to not not be you know continuing, but I will add that the security around mobile phones is fucking awful, especially in the U.S. And one of the attack vectors I will tell you about right now: if you are a Bitcoiner and you are going to conferences and you're giving out a business card, just get a different phone number. Don't you don't give people your phone your main phone number because there will be attackers who will go to these conferences intentionally to collect a honeypot of all of these phone numbers, which they hope they can do a SIM swap attack, which is where you actually clone the phone number. And then if you use that phone number to do your two-factor with your, you know, your Google Mail, Gmail account, then you're wrecked now because they've got your Gmail account. That means they can go into your Polo account and they can reset the password. They send it to the Gmail. They've got the Gmail. They can freeze your computers if you've got remote you know, back up my Mac, you know, uh, installed. There's a whole bunch of things they can do. So don't give out your main phone number if you're going to conferences and events. Do, you know, maybe pick a, a Google number. You know, Google have uh, their own phone numbers or get like a, you know, a phone. Or actually, I don't even give people my phone number anymore. I just give them like, you know, my Twitter account or something, you know, my email address. So those some some of the ways that you can be avoided, or you can do what what Shani and I do. And we just live on an Airbnb and we just travel around everywhere and even have a fixed address. That sounds nice. Those are some top tips. Some top tips, and just just be aware of it because you may not think about it. You may just give out your phone number, you know, Bitcoin meetups, and not realize the fact that you're in Bitcoin might actually make you a target of a SIM swap attack or, you know, a swatting attack like this one. All right, moving on. This is Shinobi's story right here. Peter Rizun is going to be speaking at Scaling Bitcoin. What do you think about that? Wow, what a whole gigabyte. Yeah, a whole gigabyte. Yeah, we're not I, messing around. These are mega, these are super big blocks. I think this is just uh, absurd. I mean, <laughs> their entire rationale is effectively 
Um, if we can do something under condition X, then this should work perfectly fine under condition Y. And I mean, it, it's just outright insane. Like, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a link real quick um, that uh, Rick found actually is like a quick rundown of what they're actually doing here. But they've effectively just set up some mining nodes, um, <laughs> like one in Toronto, one in Frankfurt, one in Stockholm, and one in Washington State. And are, they have plans to do some in um, the, the other hemisphere as well. But they're saying that because one gigabyte blocks can move between these four nodes in a way that doesn't affect the, the uh, profitability of miners, four nodes, that all of a sudden, one gigabyte blocks are safe, guys. I mean, th this is a fucking joke. Like, I, I literally, I, at this point, I'm completely writing off scaling Bitcoin as anything <laughs> respectable in, in terms of legitimate information at this point. Th this is insane. Like, there's the fact that this man is being given stage time, that he's being lent the legitimacy of the brand of that conference to say that because four nodes can move gigabyte blocks between them, that it's safe to have gigabyte blocks on the actual live peer-to-peer -peer network is fucking delusional. <laughs> like, yeah, but, yeah, but we don't need, but not everybody needs to run a, a full node, Shinobi. Don't you realize that? You just you, you don't you just you don't have to do that, yeah. and then we can yeah, all have slows down the network. Slows down the network because more hops, more hop. You know, never uh, never trust, don't verify. Yeah, didn't you know that, Shinobi? <laughs> These guys are really doing a good job of triggering me today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, if we want to have it, if we want to have worldwide currency, we need to have you know them really large blocks and. You know, it doesn't matter. And if you, I mean, if you've been in Bitcoin long enough, you should be able to afford to have something that can, you know, do at least one gigabyte, right? And propagate that and everything. <laughs> well, we got to start off slow, you know. But to, to make it even more ridiculous, though, the, the nodes that are originating the transactions that are stress testing this are in six places. San Francisco, New York, London, Amsterdam, Singapore, and Bangalore. Or, uh, Bangalore. So that's not only are they using four, again, I like to stress four nodes to, to test the block propagation, but their system is assuming six origin points of all of these transactions. So they're assuming a, a network architecture that gives zero privacy to any user because it, it's directly funneling into these six points if you're going to assume th that everybody isn't using the same computer to sign their Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, but, that, if, <laughs> but, if a, but if a whole bunch more people use Bitcoin, wouldn't that help make it more private then? Since we make no, it so big, then everyone's all of using connections it. Yeah, right? are mappable. Like the, the IP that it's going to, the IP that it's coming from. Like the, 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 this is this is not a test. This is a, a scam artist's attempt to to put together some PR stunt and hitch his name to scaling Bitcoin 
to to try and portray himself as a legitimate researcher. Mm-hmm. So who? Okay, so who is the um, person that curates the speakers for Scaling Bitcoin? I mean, it's not a for-profit organization, right? Scaling Bitcoin is not like Inside Bitcoins used to be, or another conference. It's just a. It's it's supposed to be an academic. Um, conference. I mean that. I mean, in my opinion, that's okay. You could have a variety of viewpoints, you, right? But it, but see, this isn't this isn't about the the viewpoints, though, Theo. This is this is this this is a an experiment that is is trying to attest something that would be translated to the actual live network right now, and the topology and the architecture in which they're testing it in absolutely no way whatsoever resembles the actual peer-to-peer network today. These results are indicative in absolutely no way as to how this would function on the live peer-to-peer network. To call this academic is a joke. Okay. Yeah. I just mean the, I mean the conference itself. I think that's the idea. That's how I see the idea of it. You know, it's not pitches for products and it's not, um, I don't know, uh, kind of, uh, TED Talk style. It's more about you know more papers and presenting papers and stuff like that. So it may hey maybe someone is there that can you know ask some tough questions about that. And um, I, as far as I can tell, that is their vision. That's his vision of how it should look like. You see what I mean? It should be with few nodes that are huge, and that's how it should look like. And it's not. I, mean, I don't think that's good. But I think that that is, you know, what what he what they're kind of getting at is as far as as far as what I can see and is what they're saying, you know, and uh, you're, it's your own fault if you can't afford to have such a node that can't that can handle that. Twenty thousand yeah, dollars full node will piss off. <laughs> but but that's the kind of the point, you know, like that's common sense. There, there is absolutely no research needed here whatsoever. If you have higher spec equipment, less connections between them. There is no testing that needs to be done. That's basic math. Under those wildly different conditions than the network now, yeah, that'll work. You just do the basic math. This is them just attempting to create the air of legitimacy through mm. through the conference. And it's well, brand. it's a big it's a big number, one gigabyte. So I I have a question. So I heard a rumor that. Um, the New York agreement, when they were discussing that, they were originally proposing to have 100 megabyte blocks, and then they slowly whittled it down because they realized, holy crap, no one's ever going to accept 100 megabytes. Is that where? Is that at all related to this paper? I can only speculate, but I would have to speculate, yes, because to the best of my knowledge, those rumors are true. And they were essentially talking insane block sizes like that until they realized that, you know, nobody's going to go for that. Because what I find so weird about... No, not very specific, but the original core group that started the agreement started formulating Mm -hmm. and flushing things out and then went looking for other companies to sign on with it. Okay. What I find so confusing about all of this is like that no one actually, I, I haven't seen anyone provide any kind of scientific explanation for why we have should have a certain block size. In, like, should it be eight megabytes? Should it be 10? Should it be 20? Like no one has actually provided a scientific explanation for why it should be one size or the other. Well, I've got a, a pretty, it should be 888, of course. 
you know, because that is the eight is a lucky number. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could. Run I mean, that. basically, all they all they <laughs> seem to be basing it on is how much. <laughs> all they seem to be really basing it on is how much how much can my company's nodes handle? Like that's basically their only yeah. priority. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, they don't, have, otherwise, uh, they don't care. Yeah, and we have patents that are ready for the hardware that can handle that. So we're ready to go. We're locked and loaded. Uh, you know, so we're going to create the problem and we have the solution. We even have the solution patented. So, you know, we're just, we're ready to go with that. <laughs> you know, we're ready. All you need to do is book a room at the Marriott and I'll be there and I'll be signing that. Uh, we're going to do the Marriott Marriott agreement uh, 3x. Yeah, we're going the Marriott agreement. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. right. Well, exactly. 888x, surely. 888 so excuse me, 8883 is, I mean, come on. Three, three is pretty cool. <laughs> three is nothing. You're a yeah, small yeah, blocker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I'm a small blocker. blocker. We got to go. Yeah. <laughs> 888x. Uh, for yeah, anything that's right. pretty negative, small blocker. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, I think that Minus we can go on. Whoa. Can we double that? I think we could double that. Right? <laughs> okay, so 16, 16, 16. <laughs> no, I mean, six, six, six. Okay. Right, to, to be Captain Buzzkill, though, or Buzz Killington for a second, though, I mean, like, you know, this conference is, is dead. Like, there have been a number of organizers who kind of slowly petered off from their involvement. And really? just to see this presented as as actual research and lent legitimacy through that brand is, is ridiculous. Like it, it's, it's this this is not research. But as recently as the second of October, Jameson Lopp, who we were talking about earlier, said that you know he's reviewing papers and it's going to be cypherpunk as fuck, y'all. And how much does it Brian cost to attend? Does it cost a lot to attend? I don't know actually. Like we didn't look at that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, that's just like with any with any conference. You know, people are going to want to, or everybody wants to, you know, get their viewpoint across. And, you know, if people want to try to use it as a platform, then they will. That's 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 going to happen. So it's just a question of who is who is curating the speakers and who gets to decide. And is it a variety of people or is it only one? one viewpoint so i mean if he if his research is really horrible then there should be someone there to call it out you know yeah so you, you can get on the waiting list um those, uh, so all right well out. anyone anyone that uh wants to go you know, just email them uh block digest press pass uh we can you know try to organize that no, <laughs> no. all right Right. Anyway. Okay. So I think we can, I mean, anyone else have anything? I think we can go on to the next. Yeah, we can move on. Shanine's got the next story. Shanine's got the next story. Uh, apparently one of the big holders of Bitcoin is Julian Assange. We did really well out of it. Yeah. So this tweet went pretty viral because I mean, I don't know, I guess it surprised people how much WikiLeaks had in Bitcoin, but I'm not that surprised because actually Assange was one of the first main, like at least someone who had a lot of attention already for other reasons. He was one of the, um, one of the main proponents of Bitcoin very early on. Uh, in fact, I'll send you, do you, I think you have the link to when Google met WikiLeaks, right? Cause he actually had a conversation all the way back in uh, the summer of 2011 with um, Eric Schmidt, who was then CEO of Google. 
And uh, it's really funny because uh, if you go through, like just search Bitcoin and you'll find the first, um, no, not that one. I sent you the link to it. There's an actual quote. Um, I'll just, anyway, here, I'll get it. Wait, are you two at the same computer? <laughs> no. no, we're not. We kind of wish we're though sometimes. Um, yeah, so he, uh, if you go through the transcript and search Bitcoin, yeah. it was really funny because when we first mentioned it, um, Eric Schmidt actually didn't know what Bitcoin was. He hadn't heard of it, which I just thought was funny because it's like the CEO of all-knowing uh, all Google doesn't know about Bitcoin in 2011. But, you know, I guess it was too obscure even for him. But, uh, yeah, Assange went into like a really long uh, monologue about what Bitcoin was and why it's significant. Um, and he said, uh, Bitcoin actually has the balance and incentives, right? And that is that is why it's starting to take off. And this is back in 2011. He's saying it's starting to take off. Um, there's no central nodes. It's all point to point. No one needs to trust any central mint. If we look at traditional currencies, currencies such as gold, we can see that they have a sort of interesting properties that make them valuable as a medium of exchange. Um, let's see. Yeah, so he was a really big fan of it. And I'm not quite sure because people have been debating about whether his um, calculation, his percentage that he had in that tweet was accurate. Um, like someone said, it was actually a 50,000% increase. Uh, I haven't checked any of that. Um, someone estimated that he, WikiLeaks, I think has at least $24 million worth of Bitcoin right now, but I'm not sure. That was just one estimate. But they definitely have a lot because uh, what was interesting about the tweet is he didn't say that they had received a lot in donations, which they have. He said that they invested in it. So that means they, independent of donations, they bought in. Um, so that would, you know, that would basically mean that they have a lot more than they've received in donations if they actually were investing capital. Um, and the reason they did that for anyone who doesn't know is because um, back in 2011, there was a banking blockade against them where the U.S. government actually asked all these uh, payment providers like PayPal and Visa um bunch of them that wikileaks was using to say do not allow anyone to send donations to wikileaks and that was a big deal because i think it cut off 95 percent of their funding at the time because you know a lot of people were sending it through more traditional means like visa and mastercard and so when that got cut off that was a big deal and so uh, wikileaks was heavily involved in bitcoin after that and there's actually a post uh, on the Bitcoin talk forum from Satoshi saying that he actually didn't think it was a good idea that WikiLeaks get involved in Bitcoin because it would bring too much attention in the early stages of Bitcoin that could potentially, you know, kill the project at that point. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting history behind this tweet. So what you're saying is that there was basically an internal power struggle within WikiLeaks. They created Bitcoin. So they could fundraise and there was one group of them that wanted it to scale and go bigger and there was another group that didn't and that group had the account on the bitcoin talk forum and they were like no no let's not like advertise this to wikileaks and the other group were like yes yes because we'll make like fifty thousand percent on our investment and we'll like record the governments around the world uh i don't think assange has ever been a person that has been proposed as being the creator Come of on. Bitcoin. You're, you gotta be um, kidding me, right? Like how well has he done out of this? Like, although he doesn't, he, he apparently doesn't. He was in the he, movement. 
He was in the cypherpunk. Look did, at that quote that you read didn't out. You, didn't you like, listen to Hillary Clinton's video lately? I mean, come on. She figured it out. It's all a Russian conspiracy. You know, and of course, Bitcoin is relate. That's the missing link that nobody is 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 really getting to fund this whole thing. You so know? this was in two thousand eleven, and he's talking like this. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, if you because he also this is from the book when Google met WikiLeaks, which is just a conversation between him and some people from Google. Um, there's also um, the Cypherpunks book, and they also talk about Bitcoin a little bit in that, and they made a few iffy statements that uh, Assange didn't correct. So I don't know if I anyway. This I don't consider Assange to be one of the possible Satoshis. Uh, although I do find it interesting, he doesn't get along with uh, fake Satoshi CW. So, well, he was, was probably actually, one of the people that wanted it to scale, and then like he didn't. And Assange had the access to the you know the Satoshi account on Bitcoin Talk, and then the fake Satoshi was like, no, no, we need to get this. We need to get this viral, man. We need to make this big. We need big block. We need one well, gigabyte blocks. Yeah, man, but I've got my patent. I've got my patent lined up. We need to get the one gigabyte yeah. ready, and I can like pump out my mega computer and sell this shit. ICO. Well, well, yeah. So one of the one of the interesting things about um, Assange and Bitcoin is that, uh, or WikiLeaks and Bitcoin is that, like as I said, the Satoshi um, post on Bitcoin Talk said that. Um, he was whoever Satoshi is that they were against WikiLeaks um, uh, publisher uh, advertising that they were accepting Bitcoin now as their main source of funding. And interestingly, at the same time, fake Satoshi was saying, "Oh, this is a great idea. WikiLeaks should be accepting Bitcoin." And so, you know, interesting history there. That <laughs> in terms of whether fake Satoshi is real Satoshi. Um, uh, what's there's uh, another point I wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah. So yeah, another one of the so besides as a source of funding, Assange has been talking about Bitcoin a lot because um, they actually use it as uh, he thinks it's important as a tool for publishing, like the authenticity part of publishing where you can timestamp things, which WikiLeaks has actually been doing a lot. I think they started the timestamping stuff back in all the way back in 2011. They might have started a bit later. Um, but yeah, he he's actually more interested in it as a timestamping tool. And he actually used, uh, he read when he was doing his proof of life thing, when everyone was going crazy about whether he was dead or alive. Um, he read off the uh, the block, he read off the block height and the, what's the other, the Merkel route, I think. Yeah, he read that off. Yeah, and the Merkel route or head on, yeah. Yeah, and he actually made a mistake the first time, and, and everyone went crazy, and he, so he had to read it all over again. But yeah, he used it as proof of life, so that was funny. Yeah, I think this guy, I think there's a high probability that he could be behind it. Rick, did you want to say something? I think he's dealing with enough at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to mention that, you know, Julian Assange, he definitely got in early, man. He knew uh, quite a lot. You know, I read through this a little bit before we came on, and he definitely, yeah, he's about, he knew a lot. So <laughs> I'm not going to say he's Satoshi or anything, but, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. 
The thing is, though, let's say he was Satoshi, like, he's stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy, like, what could, it's like, what more could the U.S. government possibly do to to go after him at this point? Like, he's actually, he would actually send in a SWAT team, they could send in a SWAT team and break him out. Yeah, but, like, they would have already done that. I I don't think adding Bitcoin into the mix would make them any more motivated. But to be honest, like, he would actually be the perfect candidate because he's already in a t- pretty terrible situation with all the other work he does that his life would not be significantly altered in terms of yeah security. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's move over to Russia next. So I know what you're all thinking. Russia's going to release a crypto ruble, but really... When polo. So who can answer? When polo? When is this crypto uh, ruble uh, going? It's gonna be it's gonna be on Yobit first, of course. It's gonna be on Yobit way before yeah. Polo. Well, and I, I don't know. Trex. I'm not yeah, Trex and Polo, I don't know, they're not really adding a lot right now. So you gotta go to more of the um, what I like to call um, emerging markets in the uh in the in the crypto in the uh shitcoin world so you have uh craptopia uh yobit um and some other random ones you know that are just kind of really kind of kind of shady or whatever but i think it could go on there uh this really remind um go you haven't even told the whole story yet but it's an ongoing topic and it reminds me a lot of this guy i will put the link from the St. Louis Federal Reserve, David Andolfato. I'm sure I said that wrong, but it's okay. I will post the link. And, you know, he's given several talks about FedCoin. And it's not a joke. He's, you know, done, he's, he's, he does, he is, he does research for the Federal Reserve. You know, that's like his, that's his main job is to write papers and do research and talks for the Federal Reserve. And, he mapped it out. It sounds very similar to the tech to the article about the uh, about the art about the uh, that's him. Sorry, it's not about Fedcoin, but that's him. He's been at several conferences talking about Fedcoin, and it's the same basic thing as the uh, crypto ruble. You know, it's it's not mined. It's it's uh, it's paired to the to the value. I mean, the Fedcoin idea is that it's always worth a dollar. I don't. It sounds like the crypto ruble might be slightly different. Um, you know, you can track it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It does have some kind of blockchain. So the the parts of the blockchain that a government would like, they want to use. You can track it. Uh, you can't counterfeit it. Uh, um, you know, um, I guess that's it. Basically, you can you if it's if it's not mine, then you could roll it back or i don't know maybe delete someone's account theoretically uh you know if if it's if it's a centrally controlled blockchain you know it's not not by you know not distributed in any way so it has all the things that so they're really liking it and what i really like about what these articles are saying is what we've said on this show and other ones a lot is that all this stuff russia and and other countries too there are look and and companies it's a competition. So they're, they're trying to position themselves. Am I going to be the last one to have some kind of blockchain crypto stuff? Or am I attractive to these kind of companies? Or am I going to be the one that's left out in the cold? So they're, they're trying to, Russia, it looks like, is trying to figure out how they can position themselves as a place for crypto 
and still control it somewhat. And, you know, they're trying to attract miners. There's all these, all kinds of stories. So they're experimenting. I think that's, that's what I think is going on. And, and I don't know, is there really a confirmation that any of this is happening? I mean, all the articles say, you know, we want to confirm. Does anyone have a confirmation? No, I talked we to Putin about. myself. Um, it, <laughs> it's confirmed. Right. We we checked our back channels to the Kremlin and hadn't heard anything yet. Yeah, I we did ask them for comment. They haven't returned our calls yet, but we're, we're hoping that they will at some point. Okay. Now, this, this article says it was announced. There was a previous article in Cointelegraph, um, which was, just, I think, based on speculation. And also Rush Today back in August, late August, uh, said that the Kremlin were considering a crypto ruble use of blockchain in public service. Um, but yeah, this is the article from TechCrunch today. Whose story was this? Who submitted this in the news desk? Is it? I did. Yeah, and uh, Rick, I think. Rick, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Theo's dead on with this. Like they're just trying to jump in before you know, before they feel like they're going to get left out of the game. I mean, it goes in. <clears throat> excuse me. It says in the quote about how they're worried if they don't do this now, then in a couple of months their neighbors will be doing it. And you know, I've like. I have heard that with the FedCoin and with IMF and their special drawing right, and I just saw an article before we came on about the crypto dollar, where all these seem to be just sort of like tethered and no mining and all centralization. I don't know how it's considered a crypto anything, but uh, yeah, it seems like this is just sort of where they're coming in to try and it feel it, at least they feel like they're in the game. They don't. I don't think they understand yet that you know they try to fix these things on us and people are going to be using Bitcoin because that one is the one that they can use anywhere all around the world. And I don't know, it's a game that's going to play out over years. Wait, yeah. so is it a cryptocurrency that's tethered to the ruble or is like, is it like tethered? Well, ruble? To, to quote the in quote journalist that wrote this article, details are scarce. I mean, this is a terrible piece of write up. Like, right. He's basically saying like the, the speculation has been, you know, capping months of speculation. What does that mean? Capping months of speculation. Like, is there an announcement? Do you have a quote? No, apparently details are scarce. But according to the reports, like these earlier ones, I guess, the crypto ruble cannot be mined, but will be issued and tracked by the government like ordinary currency. That does away with one of the primary draws of cryptocurrencies, of course. Some would say that the entire point of something like Bitcoin is to free commerce, whatever. The crypto ruble does appear to be blockchain-based, however, which gives it at least a veneer of decentralization and could help preventing things like online fraud. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's just, I mean, it's kind of like, according to five different crypto rags, I've sourced some information and their information seems to be totally uncredible most of the time but i'm going to source it anyway because this is blockchain and it's hot so they have to write something you know it's it's, it's you're right i mean at least well yeah at least they admit you know information is scarce but I, but it's but it's true i mean it's it would sound absurd three four years ago that this is even considered. You know, it would be totally nuts. And uh, unfortunately, I don't remember his name, but there is a guy, I think he's still in the Russian, whatever their version of Senate or whatever it is they call it. I forgot the name. And he is, con there is one guy that has said publicly, he's convinced that Bitcoin is an American invention 
to destroy Russia. So there's people actually in the in the Russian government that have positions that even hold that you know the, another view the viewpoint that you know it's but, an American invention to destroy Russian currency and destabilize that more. There's they all say kinds that about the internet. Like they, yeah. they literally have said yeah. the internet yeah. is a CIA conspiracy. But that would be kind of full circle if they're saying, okay, we want to give, you know, we want to make it nice to, you know, build mining operations in Siberia. And, you know, we want to build, you know, support blockchain projects. We want to do crypto ruble and things like that. That's kind of a, it's a totally different viewpoint than, you know, being banned against. Now, I'm interested in um, who are the devs of crypto ruble? Does anyone know? There are not that many. There are not many devs out there in the blockchain crypto space. So I mean, count on your fingers. Who do you think the dev that's going to be hired to create crypto ruble is going to be, and how much are they going to get? Because if they're going to get something, I hope they got. I hope they hit the jackpot if they're going to do it. You know, but. Who could it be? You know, what what is, that's that's a good question. I mean, Who got the contract? Which, which cryptocurrency founder has been known to go to Russia a lot lately? Oh! <laughs> I mean, it's all speculation. You know, if, I could, if I could think of one person, <laughs> I yeah, mean, they might at least. Well, because Ethereum does, isn't patented, so. They could technically copy the like. Does anyone has has any code been released? Have they said like what what no. language it's written no. in? Or no, 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 no. Nothing. There are hardly any details released. No, nothing. They might not know yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, when this guy um, from the Fed taught, spoke, now he spoke in he spoke in Frankfurt actually, at, in January 2015 about the Fed thing, and he himself was not sure about the mining but he admitted it so i was okay with that you know what i mean he wasn't he was okay with that but his argument was that the dollar does everything bitcoin does already it's fun cash cat the cash does it's fungible you can use it everywhere you know what i mean he says we already do that you can spend it on the internet no well, wait no that not it's of course not <laughs> And so he was like, okay, we'll just do Fedcoin and it's always worth a dollar and et cetera, et cetera. And of course then Bitcoin price was down. So he was really like smiling, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that was a, that was a whole different feeling um, than now, but you know, countries are going to want to have their own blockchain prod uh, project product uh, to keep up. And it, it doesn't even matter really. It just matters that it's on a phone it looks like Bitcoin and that it can, can compete with Bitcoin. You know what I mean? The countries are yeah. going to have to figure out something to compete. And as long as it appears like that, then that's okay. People are going to – that's going to be a competition, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. I want to bring this up. I want to we, – we're going to have a new slot on Block Digest for, you know, comment of the week or oh, yeah. control of the week. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I want to go, I want to briefly touch on this and Sharnina, just, just deep breath, deep breath. We'll, we'll, everyone will get their feelings and their, and their thoughts out. 
But this was a comment by Paula Green, and Paula's been uh, very uh, active on the chat, and she's been very supportive of the show, which is fairly nascent. Um, and I took all of your uh, views on board, Paula, when, when you were writing this. I certainly don't want to be like, this was basically like some troll comment, like this is the new World Crypto Network, whatever. I mean, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to delete comments because I don't believe in that unless they're spam. I'm not going to delete anything, even if I really, really disagree with it. But there is such a thing on the internet known as Godwin's Law. And Godwin's Law is that eventually any debate on the internet will eventually be reduced to accusations of Nazism and Hitler, right? Someone, someone will eventually say, you're like Hitler or you're like the Nazis or whatever. And I don't think being, I'm going to start off by being generous to Paula. I'm not going to say that this is what she was saying here just yet, but I just want you to be mindful of Godwin's Law. So I, I basically... Uh, she is responding to the to this this sort of troll who's saying that the, this is the new world crypto network. It's it's not actually. It's called Block Digest. It's a single format uh, channel. It's not trying to be a network of any sort. But anyway, she responds with, "It's still a Bitcoin minimalist show, though. Although I'm a big fan of Bitcoin and have held Bitcoin as well as other top altcoins since 2014, I want Bitcoin to have competition, or we will risk fulfilling the globalist dream of one currency to rule them all. I'm sure Adolf Hitler would be very proud of Bitcoin's goal: total world." domination and then she goes off to quote uh, the Führer one one people one one empire one leader and she's saying one one people is Bitcoin minimalists one empire is the world one leader is Satoshi both world crypto network and block digest remind me of the Hitler youth movement conform or be cast out to be honest there is only one YouTube channel that gives some partial views and then she goes on to promote cryptoverse which I checked out seems like a nice chat that runs it seems a good show um, so here's here's the thing I said this before i don't know if i come across to some people as like a minimalist maximalist other people will always tell me what i am um in fact it's funny because not too long ago about four or five weeks ago i was being shouted at and accused of being you know an altcoin fan and not being a maximalist by someone who might be you know labeled as a maximalist himself so i love it when different people from different you know prejudices and different veneers on their the way they see world like will see me as one thing because they latch on to something that I've said. And then another group from, from another side will call me the very thing that that other person thought that I wasn't. Um, I like that. It means that I'm keeping everyone on their toes. Good. I'm glad I'm keeping you on your toes. I'm glad you don't really know where to put me. Um, I actually started my crypto career at an altcoin called Feathercoin, funnily enough. I got into Bitcoin first and knew about it in 2012, but then I only really became active in the community through an altcoin, weirdly enough. And a lot of people don't know that about me because then I kind of left and I went over to World Crypto Network, joined with Tom, and you know, and then it was during the MT Gox fiasco. Now, I probably am on record somewhere, and I haven't taken the effort to find it, as saying that Hitler would like. Oh, no, I did. It was in the Let's Talk Bitcoin episode with Andreas Antonopoulos. And I think I said something uh, to the effect of, I think Hitler would have loved Bitcoin. I think he would have latched on. I've read a lot of books on Hitler, just to say, you know, people who know me, I am a big fan of that whole period of history, fan of that period of history. I hate what happened in that history, but I, I read a lot about it, if that makes sense. And I think he would have taken advantage of its popularity, of its groundswell, um, it's grassroots movement. He would have seen that as communitarian, the open source aspect. Publicly, he would have been, would have said, this is great. This is what, what Nazism is all about. And secretly, I think he would have hated it, actually. He would have loved the control and the, you know, the, the way that the blockchain is immutable and it's like this database and he can have it and he can see what everyone's doing. He would have loved the control element. 
Um, but I think he would have hated the open source nature of it. And so I think actually Paula is, to be generous, latching on to a good point. These tools that we're building now, including the internet, can be used for very, very tyrannical ends and also be used for, for good ends. I actually asked Paula in those comments, well, if you have the ability to anticipate the suffering that you, you foresee, shouldn't isn't isn't the you know the moral imperative then to act on that anticipation and say well surely we should do something about it regardless of whether or not this show or that show is you know bitcoin minimalist maximalist or, or whatever i i don't i don't think that's true what is bitcoin minimalist that's even a new one but i don't even know if it's I think important it, no it's, yeah. shinobi do, do you want to explain it um, I don't know. It's basically, it's basically where you think. It's basically where you think that there shouldn't be anything more than Bitcoin, except for you know maybe Namecoin or maybe you know something like Monero, something that actually has deliverable utility. But Bitcoin so, should be like the global M three. First of all, I, mean, I definitely have never said that Bitcoin should be the global M three. Yeah. Like the money supply, the, the money yeah. reserve. Okay? I just want to so say I, mean, I, 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 I have never ever claimed that. I, I just want to I say I'm a little more. Oh, go on. On, like it's like in my opinion it's it's because what's the reason that these other coins exist like what's the utility okay now is that utility derived from a lack of capacity on bitcoin okay and it, there's there's two questions you have to ask that and is it doing something that bitcoin is incapable of doing well if if it's not the second one and it's only the first well then, inevitably, that that value that that an alternative system provides disappears when those barriers to throughput on Bitcoin disappear. So it's not so much in that there shouldn't shouldn't be any of these other things out there. I think that in the long term, from a utilitarian standpoint, there won't be, because when that throughput is there to to do these things on Bitcoin, it will move to Bitcoin. It, like at the end of the day, proof of work is thermodynamics. Things will converge in the longest term to a single system because it's just it, that's what markets do. They converge towards the most optimal and efficient way of doing things. And when it comes to burning energy for something, well, if you have two things burning energy, like the same amount of energy split between them and the, the possibility of just combining that energy into one, what's more secure there? It's, it's going to be this single system. And in the long term, as long as the Bitcoin scaling issues are dealt with, I think things just naturally will fold into Bitcoin, not that they shouldn't be elsewhere. Mm, it sounds really a lot like uh, Paula's argument there. Now, I just want to say that I'm, <laughs> I just want to say that I'm laughing not because I'm against the comment. I think that it, it was, it's a good comment because it started a, a discussion about it and, and, uh, that's interesting, but I think that it doesn't really fit with the whole one empire, uh, one people at all, because it's open source and it's kind of weird because it can't be all, a lot of the, or most of the altcoins, not all of them, you know, are a fork of Bitcoin. So it doesn't really fit the model of one people one one empire in that sense either there's a lot of things that don't fit with it but you know i don't know hey i'm not 
I'm I don't I don't consider myself a minimalist or a maximalist or I don't know whatever that means. We all know it's Chris's fault for starting altcoins craze with Feathercoin. Uh, definitely, that's, and that's oh way God, that's before so way before uh, Pepe cards. So we don't even want to go there. So this is like you know we're talking about Feathercoin. I mean that started that was like you know would we have do meme Dogecoin with no Feathercoin? Probably not. You know what I mean? So, you know, we had you had to have that wave of the feather coin wave, that wave of altcoins. No, I think was all, a, was altcoins, wave. altcoins yeah. we had Fairbricks, Tenebricks, we had other ones before. No, no, it, oh, no. it was not the first yeah. one, but it was part no, of a no, wave. It was, it was part yeah, of a wave. It was the first part, it was the first part of like the wave when people really saw that they could make money on these things on the exchanges. And so let, let's be absolutely clear. It's it's quite different for someone to be a blind sort of advocate of like Bitcoin maximalism or minimalism without question. It's quite different if someone got there through critical thinking and doesn't consider that position as a Bitcoin minimalist final. If like I'm just here because right now, based on the information I have available, this is, I think, that the most uh, logical place to be. The real power that, that people like Hitler actually would be close to Mussolini rather than saying Hitler youth. It's actually close to Mussolini's philosophy because Mussolini had this totalizing view um, or totalitarianism um, in, in his book where he said, actually, you know, uh, every, every company should really be acting on behalf of the state because they're the ones that are using the state's land and its resources and its people. So in theory, every company should report back to the state and tell it what all the customers are doing, tell it what everything's going on. So if anything, it's actually historically it's closer to, to Mussolini than it is to Hitler philosophically. I think Hitler was an amazing uh, orator, a very efficacious uh, politician. He was very good at using the left, for example, to get into power. You know, he was installed into power because the incumbents thought they could control him. Well, that didn't work out too well. But his power didn't just come from his efficacy as a politician, because actually he was pretty lousy by most accounts. You know, he was very depressed. And his power really came from the unquestioning kind of following of this sort of bunch of, you know, blind followers who do, who, um, all because they, you know, they just didn't care. Um, they, he, you know, he challenged, channeled a certain sort of anger among people. And you could draw analogs with that. You could say, well, Max Kaiser, in a way, kind of channels the anger of a lot of people that were disenfranchised by banking and financing. And there's some, some element of truth to that. But I think it's quite sort of different to say, okay, now let's go to war over this, or now let's, you know, target the escape, let's form a scapegoat and let's kill a bunch of people. And I mean, that's, that's, that's where you're getting into Godwin territory when you're starting to compare people to the Hitler youth. You have to really be careful with this because you're, you're really distorting things. Like no one's advocating killing anyone. Um, I don't think that Bitcoin should be global M3. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist and minimalist-ish, I suppose. But other people have accused me of being an altcoin fan because, you know, I own some Dogecoin and apparently that's a sin. You shouldn't be allowed to own any Dogecoin. And I have Monero as well. You know, I'm a big, big fan of Monero. So... I don't know already what to say. You've, committed, what you've committed cardinal sins. You know, this is... I, I should really... do seppuku. I should do yeah, seppuku yeah, yeah, yeah. with my Japanese whiskey. Right. Well, first we have to have a public shaming, you know, first. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, of like course. A, like I have a, to be harmed. Uh, yeah, like kind of like a, well, maybe like a Maoist 
kind of public shaming thing or you're marched around and we put like all kinds of signs on you that say shit yeah. coin fan shame, and, shame. Yeah, yeah 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 right green bell kind of thing you marched around london and then and then you're marched around berlin like with the <laughs> With the shame bell, you know, it says With like all the shit coins, like right, all the shit coins, like, right, mm. exactly, exactly, and, and, and yeah. feather coin, of course, a lot of that, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, you're gone around. No, I don't know. I mean, but it that kind of conversation comes up a lot, and uh, I think that's a good part of the show to put some of the comments in there like that that stirred up um, some thought, regardless of of what you know what direction it was going uh you know uh i even i don't agree that it's you know bitcoin or or anyone on here is similar to trying to advocate one people one empire um you know and even even like shinobi said even if you know even if you just if you just go by with the utility part of it that doesn't fit into that whole ideology of one empire and one people either because it was not that's not about you know utilitarianism yeah. either at all you know so it's doesn't fit on a lot of things but hey it's okay it stirred up um some discussion and sometimes that's the point that's good no, but she i do think you paula know? brings up a good point though about ridiculing people like jamie Dimon and and all of this mm. the collapse of empires are all mm. she says the collapse of empires are always painful and never without casualties they also often leave power vacuums so i think look you're, you're quite mm. right paula that you I don't agree with the Hitler Youth comment, okay? Very clearly, and then Shanine had some strong feelings about that comment. But I, I do agree with the general sentiment that we have to be careful here not to repeat history and not just to, you know, for I feel like what happened in the second part of the 20th century is fascism basically got rebranded as modern day liberalism and this sort of neo neoconservatism is like, oh, we like the ideas of Hitler. Like we like this kind of totalizing view. We like, we like this idea, but maybe not the way you did it. Like we just need to rebrand this a little bit because the definition, Plato's definition of a tyrant was the one that could see without being seen. I've said it before, I'll repeat it again for those of you who weren't here. And I feel like that's actually, weirdly enough, Paula, I think that's actually what the incumbent system is. Because with all these card, credit card companies and all these banks, all are deputized by the state as Mussolini prescribed, right? In industries of fascism or uh, I forget the name of the book, um, but I haven't read it in a long time. But in, in Mussolini's big work, he said that the corporation should be deputized by the state because it benefits from the state's land, resources, and people. And now, what have we got? We've got banks tracking customers. More and more shops are incentivizing people to use card payments rather than cash. The cash queue's always longer. It's inconvenient. You've got to go get it out of the ATM beforehand. You've got to think ahead. So you're encouraged to use those self-checkout machines where they've got CCTV cameras above them, where they're monitoring. Every time you use your card, you're basically being recorded. And everything you spend is, is being logged and tracked. This, I think, is closer so what Mussolini and Hitler wanted, even though they may not have liked each other very much and they had some differences of opinion, this is way, way closer. Actually, what we have is this modern day kind of liberalism because it's sort of left wing domestically, right wing economically. And then we just have all of the companies deputized and report back to law enforcement. And all of that data is just gathered and collected. And I fear for the future, like some future government that comes in, all of this database is extant, it's there for them to use. 
and they're not as maybe friendly as the, the you know the politicians we've had before maybe these are as you say more aligned with you know hitler's kind of extremism and then they start to use all that data all that lovely credit card purchasing data everywhere you've been all you know all of your global travails and they can just use it against you they can use it to to find out where you are i think it's very horrific history. so you're quite right we should never lose our sense of danger and we should always be cautious um so i thought you brought up a good point even if maybe it wasn't received so well by some people um maybe yeah just maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah look, johnny look, you didn't you yes please speak about it if you want to speak about it but i you know that that was that was my take on it Well, yeah, I, would I mean, my reaction, well, my reaction, you know, I'm, I'm half German. And so I take those kinds of things seriously because I understand the historical weight of it. <laughs> I mean, I've had, I've had to deal with it for my whole life. I've heard about it every time I bring up the fact that I'm German. The first question I get is, did I learn about Hitler in school? And so, the, you know, that kind of stuff weighs heavily on me. So to be told that, you know, a currency or a community that I'm in or something like that, it, to be told that it, it in any way, be just because there's some contention going on and yeah, maybe we've splintered off into our own groups, but to, to, to describe a voluntary group of people going on a YouTube channel, talking about their feelings and thoughts about the daily events to compare that to Hitler youth, I find that to be like, I'm, I'm sorry, but you've already lost the argument at that point. Like it, you know, like as Chris said, it's Godwin's law. Like I, I don't see any resemblance there. I mean, obviously you can have, you know, very negative and, you know, dangerous power structures, even in a very small group, but I, <laughs> You know, well, she, yeah, she's always talking about the ostracism, right? She's talking about the fact that you know Shinobi can rant on, and that might be hostile to another group of people. And might yeah, ostracize but you, and there's, there's a way. There's a way to bring up concerns about ostracism, like right. like that kind of that's that's the extreme end of the ostracism spectrum. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not involving guns. It doesn't involve actual physical coercion or violence. Like it's just speech. Like who's it hurting me? You're like show me on this doll where the internet hurt you. You know. Because the thing, because the thing, yeah, found, just... just yeah, just because the thing I always found interesting whenever you know I was growing up and people would bring up like, did you learn about the Holocaust and stuff in school? It's like, of course I did, but and usually it was, I mean, I didn't receive the, it. It wasn't a general question. I mostly received it from Americans, obviously, and the reason I say obviously it is because you know if you go to another country as an American and you tell, you say you're American, you're not going to get asked, did you learn about the, uh, the, the slaughter of native Americans? Like, you know, the Kumbaya story you get as, you know, an American is that, you know, there was this feast there, the Americans came and the Indians at first, they were a little scared, but then they had this feast and everything is okay. And then suddenly they start dying from smallpox or whatever. It's like, no American ever get, and no American is ever repeatedly reminded of what their own country did to people. No, and I'm actually, the scale, and the scale, yes, yeah, the scale, because obviously the US government won in that case, you know, that slaughter, they won. So they get to write the story about how it was all kumbaya, and then, you know, they just, you know, where did they go? They died from sickness. It's like, 
yeah, it's it's completely asymmetric, like my experience with that, and it doesn't make sense. All right, next, did you want to step in? Oh no, I was gonna say, uh, can we just dial down the ethics and uh, and the morals just a little bit? Just yeah, just we can dial time. down. I managed to dial down my ethics down to about thirty. Well, so about seventy percent, thirty percent less than normal. So I, I've been able to do that. I've done some all sorts of horrid things. Are you, are you somewhat objective? Or what was that term? subjective. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, I got it wrong. Uh, I think that what's what's happened now. Um, I I I hope everyone comments and you know comments whatever they want and continues the discussion, and you know and I and I don't think you know there. Okay, so let's say that. Uh, any of us met Jamie Diamond at the, you know, we were getting coffee and we wanted, we were standing in line to get our frappuccino with double shot of caramel or whatever the hell, you know, kind of random drink we want to get at Starbucks and Jamie Diamond, Diamond was in the line. I don't think we would be like, yeah, let's assault, let's like kill this guy. You see what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone here would and I don't think any of our discussion is is in that direction. You see what I mean? So, you know, if you've ever been around any political movements that are militant, then you know there is that angle to it. You know, they're like, okay, this is a polit this is a local pol uh, this is a local politician. He's from this party. He's at the he's at the cafe. Let's get him. You know, we're gonna break it. We're gonna we're gonna damage him. We're gonna damage his car. I don't think anybody here is on that tip at all. You know, we might say, "Hey, Jamie, you're wrong about Bitcoin. Let's go." And, uh, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let me buy your coffee with, uh, let me buy your coffee with Bitcoin Cash." No, uh, let me buy your coffee with some Bitcoin. Maybe you know, ironically, whoa, Bitcoin but, Cash. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. yeah, right. With the coffee thing, but I don't think anyone would would be interested in assaulting them. And any and anyone that talk shit about Bitcoin or, or whatever, or anyone here we disagree with. I don't think any of us would would violent, would violent encourage physical violence against them uh, by any Actually, most, most of know? the people in Bitcoin are voluntarists that, that I've met anyway. I yeah. mean, now it's different, but maybe a few years ago, certainly when I went to Porkfest and stuff, like those guys were like peace advocates. Yeah, totally. So I don't think that it's it's in that direction at all as far as um you know shame i mean yeah twitter you could say is like shaming people maybe but you know it's i don't know that's just i just wanted to how is it how is it shaming to point out a poor line it's, of reasoning or it's a bad not, idea right, right, right. No, that was my first yeah I'm it's, actually in. I, I'm I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's right it's now. it's kind of why it's I'm a, uh, but say um it's a somewhat uh, subjective road that you have to go down. But we've opened up the, I just wanted to say really quick that we've opened up the comments. <laughs> now I think we're going to hit all time high uh, Godwin's laws on this video as far in the comments. I mean, it's going to go like on the next level. Now, in the, it's going to be some really crazy discussions in the comments for this one, and everyone is going to have an opinion, and that's okay. That's good, and yeah, I, we, we I, welcome you know, it. I welcome we welcome it. it. I'm not even looking at the chat right now, 
uh, I'm sure they're going, they're going. Well, some, someone well, said, you know. someone said, Theo, that you look like you're in a hostage situation right now. Are you being forced by us against your will? Yeah, Be yeah, of course, of course. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm, you, as you can see, um, I'm in my standard, uh, you know, live streaming studio here at uh, Goodman Studios in the green room, and you know, in the green in the green room um, is where everything good happens because green is organic, green is money, and green green is frog, and that is where you know the green room is where everyone gets prepped to go on the real show, you know, that's where they get wasted. To go on the real show, but I'm permanently in the green room. Right, it's, it's you're permanently no wasted. <laughs> oh yeah, you right. Got yeah. You got a problem? Oh right? totally. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, everyone should be worried. Uh, call a hostage situation. You know, I'm hostage to myself. Um, you want to know, Jane? I got a comment here. Someone wants to know in the internal comments what is Turgid Animal Records? You can look it up. It's a. I don't even know if it still exists. It used to be an old. <laughs> Used to be an old UK uh, noise label, and they released two of my tapes. Uh, you can find it on Discogs or something. I don't know. I don't even know if it's still around. All right. Just so, just to echo Shinobi's point, like it's quite different if somebody has arrived at a position of, let's say, Bitcoin minimalism just through blindly, like listening to other people, not really thinking about it critically, and somebody that has arrived there for now because of the information that they have available to them is non-violent is a voluntarist particularly i mean i would consider myself voluntary i'm going to put any tag on myself i would consider that um and so you know just someone that, that's blindly following i think that was the real risk but quite right to, to remain mindful and to never lose our sense of danger we should not fall into complacent politics uh, where we think oh this this period of history that will never happen again of course there is always the risk that that something like that could happen again and have to be vigilant in order to in order to protect it and that requires people like you making comments so as i say the comments are open um and you're free to express yourself and unless it's spam it, it won't be touched we're going to even maybe feature it on the show in the future great final thoughts guys let's wrap this up anybody who hasn't spoken who wants to speak 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 Ah, hi guys, my name's your Cookie Monster, and I just wanted to tell you that scaling Bitcoin this year, I made Gigablocks work, and I'll show everyone how they work on stage. God, Shinobi, that was speech. loud as hell. That was loud as hell. Free, free speech. speech. That was like destruction. Wait, is that violent? Because was, so he was violent, he enacted some violence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Such uh, I just wanted to say, um, as, a closing, <laughs> as, a, as a closing word to everybody, uh, crack kills, crack is whack. Um, update your shit. I know that doesn't rhyme, but it's a start. Uh, crack, it's oh. toxic. Don't do crack. Toxic. Crack is whack. Upgrade your stack, folks. <laughs> your stat. That's a good one, yeah. And also, thank you, Rick, for today's title. Drive by Wi Fi was fantastic. Um, all right. And also, thanks to you, all of you, 70 of you at one point, um, tuning in, listening to our ramblings. And as uh, Paula said, you know, well, I just kind of tune into this thing, it's just entertainment, it's not news. And like I said at the top of them, when we started in season one, what is really the difference between a YouTube channel and a chat room these days? So we will be hoping to bring you more like, you know, insights and stuff like behind the stories. But for now, 
yeah, you're just like talking to a bunch of guys, like chatting on YouTube. But, however, you are welcome to join us. At the top of the description below, you'll see a link to the Bitcoin Mumble chat room. It is open source software, it's an open community, all are welcome. And you can even participate during the day on the news desk, which we collaborate on throughout. 